Good morning, everyone. My name is Brett Machat. Sorry, my name is Brett Machat, because apparently I over-enunciate. I'm the Worship and Young Adults Pastor here at Life Community Church, and we are all so excited to be here with you in the building. Also, those of you joining live at home, we're excited to have you here. Uh, and we've got some stuff that we want to tell you about. Monica, do you want to take it away? Uh, yes. Yeah, I should yeah. say that. I sh I'll, I'll say that first. I'll say, we've got lunch after the service. Go grab a meal, come back. We'd love to be you. But we've got some other things we want to tell you about. Monica? Yeah, we're all excited about Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is Awesome. Yes, there are plenty of ways to get involved here. And again, the website, our website is called mylcc.info. If you are looking for a place, an opportunity to serve, go check that out. Thank you, Monica. Um, and then after that, I'm going to hand it over to Go for it.
Jones Hustle. I would like to welcome you on this beautiful Sunday morning. It is a busy day being the 4th of July, but we are glad you started your day by coming to church or watching online. If you are new and want to get connected, have a prayer request or need, would like to share a story about how God is working in your life, check out the contact page on mylcc.info. We would love to hear from you. The Food Pantry and LCC would like to partner offering classes to Food Pantry families. This could be a paint, craft, cooking, fitness classes, anything related to healthy living and eating, financial and discovery, Bible classes. These classes can be in person or online. Think about what your gift or skill is that you could contribute. I'm not a crafty person, but I like to exercise, so I thought maybe a walking group. It would be a great way to connect. You can send an email to dan at lifecommunity.com at how you can contribute to this. Happy 4th of July. Wow, sounds like somebody already started their 4th of July celebration. What are your plans for today? Cookout, fireworks, swimming? What better way to start the 4th celebration than to have lunch at the church? Grab lunch, bring it back. We will have tables set up outside and inside. This is a great way to connect with people you haven't seen and to meet new people. If you are not in a cell group, here's a chance to talk to others that are in a group. And maybe you could go visit their group. Thanks for joining me this morning, and I hope you have a great time during the service, and happy 4th! Hello and good morning, everyone! Good morning. My name is Brett Machat, and I'm the worship and young adults pastor here at Life Community Church. Uh, I'm joined by my friend Monica Matheny. She is our connections director on staff. And we wanted to first wish you all a happy 4th of July. And hey, happy 4th of July. Woo. Yes, yes, amen. And actually, we have a lunch planned after the service. Um, we're going to be meeting out in the parking lot, and if you're thinking to yourself, uh-oh, I don't have any lunch, that's okay. I also don't have a lunch. I didn't bring one. So we're going to encourage you to go on out, go pick something up, come back. Last time we were here for a couple hours at least, uh, we did it back in June, and it was just it was really good to be together. There's something about having a meal together that brings people closer. Am I right? Um, but yeah, so come back after the service, and if you're at home and you're watching, we would love for you to come over and come and eat with us. It'd be awesome. mylcc.info Yes, there are plenty of places to serve. I know I'm biased. 
but especially on the worship team, safety team, we got plenty of places. So go online, let us know where you would want to serve, or if you're just like, I'll go anywhere, wherever is needed, you can let us know that as well. Um, thank you so much, Monica. Uh, we have an awesome morning planned, and I just wanted to start out by talking about the first song that we're going to sing this morning. Uh, it is a song that we have sang many times around here, and some people ask me, like, Brett, do you have favorite songs? And my answer to that is, of course I have favorite songs. I'm, I'm a human. We have favorite things. Uh, and this is one of my favorites. It is called Freedom. And I don't know if many of you knew this, but that song, the main lyric of it is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I don't know if you knew, but that's not just something that somebody wrote. That is inspired by God. It's actually found in the Bible. It's found in 1 Corinthians, if I can find, no, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in a passage where Paul was pleading others to have boldness and faith and what that looks like. And if you're reading along with me, I'm, I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. I'll start at 16. It says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So something for you to think about as we sing this song that we've sang many times. I want to ask you guys to get on your feet. We're going to be clapping our hands. We're going to sing this out together. We want you guys to join us. out of the grave break into the wild and don't be afraid run into wide open spaces grace is waiting for you dance like the weight has been lifted grace is waiting and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom there is freedom and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom there is freedom come out of the dark just as you are into the fullness of his love oh the spirit Lord is there is freedom there 
prison shake at the sound of Jesus' name. Life's made whole, hearts awake at the sound of Jesus' name. Come on. And chains will fall, prison shake at the sound of Jesus' name. Life's made whole, hearts awake at the sound of Jesus' faithful. He is with us in everything that we do, every battle that we fight. We don't have to fight alone, for the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? Let's sing about that. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. see is the mountain you see a mountain move and as I walk through the shadow your love surrounds me there's nothing to fear now for I am safe with you sing it out to him lift up your hands just our voice so when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. You are for me, who can be against me? For Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. Come on, sing this. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. Thank you, God. When all I see is a cross, God, God you see the empty tomb. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. 
Let's sing this. Cause you're my author, my maker, my ransom, my savior, my refuge, my hiding place. And you're my helper, my healer, my blessed redeemer, my answer, my saving grace. Jesus. You're my hope in the shadows, my strength in the together. Speak through him, you know, uh, even though we know your record here of uh, you sending Jesus to die for our sins, you know, we have faith in that, and when we accept that, we still struggle day to day. You know, we have doubts, we have fears, we don't understand the tragedy that happens in the world. So, I just, uh, help us understand and build that faith here, and um, 
we just thank you for all you provide and you're willing to accept us. Amen. At a time where we can do this um, with one another. Um, but I'm going to start by just asking, have you ever been in acute pain? Like, has that been a reality that you've experienced? Um, I have, and it's related to that plate of food, which actually was very tasty. Um, that is the barbecue sample at the Big Shanty Barbecue Restaurant in Kennesaw, Georgia. Like, if Georgians don't do barbecue right, who does, right? Um, but um, I actually, um, I know that, that on August 11th, 2011, uh, I consumed that plate. And on August 12th, 2011, I was in the emergency room um, because something in that plate um, was, I, I mean, I guess we'd say food poisoning. They were hesitant to say that at the hospital for some reason. But, but I'll tell you that, that whatever was in that plate wreaked havoc on my body. Um, Things that I won't mention, but I will say, like, even, like, hives were the issue that took me to the hospital. Um, but I was in significant pain. And, um, and, and the, but, but the reason I bring it up is that there was something magical that happened when I went into the hospital. Um, I'd, had, I'd had significant um, distress uh, in, in, in my, my GI system. I was nauseous and throwing up like crazy. Um, but when I went in, they put an IV in my arm, and they put some sort of magic serum, okay, in that IV. And, and within, I kid you not, within a few minutes, I, as far as my stomach was concerned, I was fine. It was, I don't know what it's called. I'm sure some doctor in the room could tell me I'd rather leave it in the realm of magic because um, I don't want to have to call out for it again. Um, but they gave it to me, and the, the pain stopped. It went away. Like that, there, there, were, there were still other issues that had to be treated. I, like I said, I was having some kind of allergic reaction with hives and other things, but the pain stopped. Um, and what a, what a gift that was, quite frankly. Um, and and we're gonna, we're, I, I bring that up, and it, it's, a, yes, a little bit of an aside, but I bring it up because we're talking here about, we're going to talk about some pain today. And we're going to talk about ways that we feel like we may be able to just sort of magically walk away from pain. We might be able to just sort of like make it go away. The, 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 the turmoil that we, that we live with when it comes to the difficulties of life, the, the, the things that happen in life that are such a struggle for us. We're in this series on doubt, and we're talking about our doubts in different aspects, different ways that we have doubt. And today we're going to talk about what I really do consider to be one of the most uh, like just, just poignant places where we get hit with doubt. And it's reconciling the, the, the idea of a, of a loving and all-powerful God with the reality of evil and pain and suffering in the world. How does that work? Because it seems like, it seems like if God's really in control and if God really is loving and if God really cares, it seems like much of the pain that we live with in this life shouldn't happen. It shouldn't take place. And this is a, this is, it's, it, it, there's, there's ways, different ways to tackle this, this issue. There's different ways to get at this. 
And, and certainly there's a route that goes through our intellect, and it goes through sort of philosophical arguments. But I'll be honest, the thing that I'm, I, we, I think we wrestle with the most, and we'll, we'll hit some of those, those intellectual things this morning, the, the cognitive things to just sort of walk through this. But I think the thing that hits us the most is when it's our pain. And stuff just hurts. And so we want to talk through that. We started last week in this series talking about the relationship between doubt and faith. And, and just by a, a way of a quick summary, that, that, that we, we said last week that faith itself requires some level of doubt. You cannot have doubt without faith, and you can't have faith without doubt. Like, as soon as we start to doubt things, we're questioning what we believe or our faith. And, and as soon as we engage faith, we're overcoming some level of doubt, some question or series of questions we may have that have led us to, to, to question reality or what we believe has been handed to us. And we talked about this just sort of process that we live through, where we construct beliefs, we, we build them, and... and and we do that in many ways, but for most of us, our, our beliefs were probably built through just assimilating the ideas around us at some level in our life. And then we go through these phases of deconstruction or tension and doubt and, and, and questioning. And, and almost always, we come out the other side with, with a reconstructed faith. And it's different from what it was before, but it, in, in many ways, it still, um, it's, it still resembles the original. But but there's a real danger that I want to touch on this morning, and it's getting caught in a loop of deconstruction or a loop of doubt where we just continue to spin and cycle, and we focus on the doubt without looking for any resolution. We just sort of wallow in the doubt without seeking any sort of way out of it. And it's, it's, it's a reality for, for many of us and many people. We get stuck in this phase. It's... It is a normal thing. Just I want to reiterate, it's a normal thing to have doubt. We don't have to deny our doubts. We don't have to ignore them, pretend that they don't exist. We don't have to just put on a smiley face and say that it's all fine and we don't have any questions. That's not at all our, like, the reality in which we live, but it's also not what, what goes on in the scriptures. We see Jesus questioning the path with his father. We see people throughout the Bible asking questions about God. And in fact, Paul writes in Philippians 2, we read this last week, but we'll see it again. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It seems like this working out of our faith, this working out of our belief, it's just sort of normal in the process of what it means to follow God. That it's, it's, it's his good pleasure that this is happening. That it's a normal process. And, and so we, you know, we may say, rather than getting stuck in this, it, it's maybe we're just, this is more an illustration that feels like your life, right? It feels like mine. Like, I feel like I'm just constantly getting new ideas and thoughts and bombarded with things and, and wrestling with with constructions that I've had or belief systems I've built and, and, and how do I deal with that and what do I think now and here's this new information and how do I come out the other side and how do I do all of that in a way? How do I do all of that in a way that maintains a faith in God but also recognizes the reality of the questions? And we want to do that here. We just want to be honest with the questions. We want to be honest with with our lives and, and who we are and what we face. And so we asked, we asked you to share. And thank you, many of you have shared. You can continue to do this throughout this series. 
If you go to that, the, that site, mylcc.info, there's a link. You can fill out a form and share your questions with us. And some of you did that, and, and some of you, uh, here's a sampling of some questions and, that represent kind of the things we received. But like, like, why does God allow suffering? Like, how, how is suffering and pain and evil part of a good and loving God system at all? Why, why, why is it even there? Where is God when people are being abused? Oh, some of these we, we've lived. Is there any purpose to suffering beyond God teaching us a lesson? Sometimes the way that we, that we, that we talk about these things, we just sort of, it's, it's easy to kind of, or maybe easy for us to just try and, and, and settle it with like, well, God's just teaching a lesson. And God, God uses pain in our lives, and part of that can certainly be a lesson. But there's got to be more to it, right? I do think it helps... <clears throat> to begin with a picture that we talk about here from time to time, but just to remind ourselves that, that when we look at, 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 at the world, we have to understand that we're looking at a really big picture, okay? And, and the Bible gives us a picture of reality. In, 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 in the reality of, of history, of God's story, it begins with creation, and I'm putting a, a word in there to tie to it. Creation is the world that ought to have been. It's the way God it was meant to be the way things ought to be. But quickly after creation in the scriptures, we come across what we call the fall or sin enters. And, and so, so this sort of represents what is. There's a world that ought to be. It was kind of perfect at the beginning. But sin enters, and so that just corrupts everything and makes the world what it is. And then, but then the beautiful thing is that the rest of the, the, the story of the scriptures gives us this story of redemption or what can be. We can live in, in a world that, that reflects and represents all that God meant for it to be. We can, by faith, we can have a better life. But then the last chapter of the story is what we call glorification or consummation, different words used for it, but it's the world that will be. It's the future promise that God is going to, he's going to do away with the sin. It's going to be gone. There's going to be no more pain, no more suffering. That world will be. And in the midst of this, that four-part picture, that four-chapter story, we come up against the idea of evil. Because e evil happens. It, it's real in the world. And, and to start here with, with this discussion of evil, I want to just say, like, we typically can put uh, evil into certain categories. And I want to start with just these two. There's evil that is committed, right? Like, people do evil things. There's also evil that's, the, that's caused by negligence. It, it, ought, it shouldn't have happened, but, but someone was careless. We've had a reminder this week, right, in South Florida of a building collapse that should not have happened. By all accounts, it looks like negligence. It's, it's awful, and it's taking a very serious toll. But it was, we can look at it and say it shouldn't have happened because someone was negligent. And then in other cases, we look at, that shouldn't have happened. Someone did something evil. They did something awful. They committed an act that hurt others. These things are, these things are evil. They're wrong. We can, we, we can categorize them this way and look at them. And when we do so, when we do so, we're, we're focusing on one category in the story, one chapter in the story. It's a real chapter. We don't, right? 
we don't need to deny the existence of evil. It's real. And we can look at it and we can locate it in the story. But we can also get to a point where it becomes the only chapter in the story, right? We can focus on it so much that it's all that we see. That the world that is, the brokenness of the world, the fallenness of the world, the sin of the world becomes all that we see. It outsizes the other aspects of the story. And that's possible for us. It's real. We can do that. Um, and, and we can get stuck in that loop so much so that we, we eventually just eliminate those other chapters and say, this is all that there is. This is all that there is. But I think it's important that we start our discussion of this this morning. We're gonna, we'll jump into some scriptures here in just a minute to look at this issue from a very human story. But I think it's important that we keep these things in balance, right? The evil in the world, the sin in the world, the fallenness of the world, the world that is, it's part of the story. But keep it in balance. It's not the whole story. It's not all that there is. God, it's not the way that the creation ought to be. It's not the way that things will end. And here in, in the here and now, we can experience redemption even in the midst of the evil. Even in the midst of the fallenness, it can happen. We have to keep the, the story in perspective. We have to, we have to be able to focus on the, the total story and not just zero in on one area, one chapter, one part of the story. So it does us no good to ignore evil, um, but it also is counterproductive to focus on it so much at the exclusion of everything else. And so we're, we, but when we think about it, we're left in this, this phase of our journey where the doubts arise. We're left in this, this part of the process for us as individuals where, where we, we deconstruct. Wait a minute, I've been told that God is good, and now I'm confronted with a world where evil takes place. I've been told that God is strong and big and powerful, and yet in these instances, that power doesn't seem to be used to, to, to press down that evil, to, to keep that evil at bay. And it's easy for us to, to get into our doubts and to, to focus on those issues and, and to wrestle with those doubts, and it's possible we get caught in the doubt loop. But one thing I want to add here, and then we're going to, I promise, we're going to jump into some scripture here in just a minute. But one thing I want to add here <clears throat> is that without God, if we, if we, if we try to go, uh, go to the emergency room because we're in pain, and the pain is the doubt of evil and God's goodness. That's the pain I'm experiencing. And we go into the emergency room, and we just want the magic serum to make it away, or to make it go away. For some of us, the magic serum is, therefore, there can be no God. I have doubts. I have doubts about God, his existence, his reality, because of evil in the world. But if we do so, if that's the, the direction that we go, we run into another problem. And the problem is this. Without a standard of goodness, without God, how can we even say that those things are actually evil? 
If we say there is no God, if we say that there is no moral authority, there is no creator who made a world the way it ought to be and who intends for a world to be without those things, if we eliminate that from the story, on what grounds can we say that the, the, the things we're calling evil are actually evil? We need a standard. And so by simply eliminating God, it doesn't really move us any closer to a solution. It just creates a new string of problems. Much more can be said about this. Great works like Tim Keller and others, The Reason for God deals with this at great detail. But, but simply eliminating God from the equation doesn't solve the problem. It just creates new problems. So it's important to keep that in mind. And then, for me, there's one more source of what we call evil in the world that is troubling. It's what we'll call natural evil, Okay? It's not, it's not a person doing something to another person. It's not negligence on someone's part that they didn't do something they should have that caused harm. This is just that we live in a world where there's, there's just stuff that happens, and it's bad. There's natural disasters. There's floods. There's tornadoes. There's disease. There's, there's plague. There's drought. Several of you wrote with questions specifically in this area. There's miscarriage and infertility. Those are real and personal pains. And we walk through those. My wife and I experience that pain. We live with the scars of the pain of miscarriage. And while time seems to sort of help, it's still there. And it's real. But again, it's not the way it's meant to be. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> the creation was subjected to futility. This is chapters 1 and 2 in that four-part narrative that I put up there. Creation was subjected to sin, to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There's chapter 3. We can live in freedom. Verse uh, 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You catch this? The creation groans. The world has just sort of been knocked off kilter here. It's the, the, the record is just kind of skipping over and over again, and we're seeing these struggles, and things aren't the way that they're meant to be. But in this short little section, Paul says, it wasn't meant to be this way. It's been subjected through sin because of the choice. And now it's corrupt, but it can be made whole. And look at that, the end of that. We, we wait for adoption, the redemption of, we wait for, for this system to end. And so I want to take the rest of our time this morning, and I want to look at this with a real human story. Um, 
this is daunting, and I, there's an answer in this, and I, but I have to warn you, you may not like this answer, okay? But I think, I think we get clues to the answer in the book of Job, okay? We get clues to the answer in the book of Job. We may be familiar with the story of Job. To quickly summarize, um, the book of Job is, is by and large poetry. It's a very long poem. Um, it contains lots of references to, to historical people, places. It contains references to, to creatures that, that we, we would look at and say, what is that? And quite frankly, we may have to say, like, I'm not sure that I know what's being referred to there. Okay? But in the book of Job, um, the, the story, the book starts with, um, with this man, Job, who's upright and he's righteous and he's also fairly affluent and has a comfortable life. And if you know the story, Satan enters before God and says, yeah, he follows you because he has a good life, right? And God says, no, there's more to it than that. And Satan says, well, if we strip all the goodness away, I bet he doesn't follow you any longer, right? So there's sort of this wager, this wager. And then there's a, I think, I think there's, there's quite a few misperceptions about the book of Job, because if we, if we just sort of hear the story of Job and we, and we stop there or we fast forward to the end, we miss about 40 chapters of what's going on. But, in the, but, but because at the end of all things, Job, which we'll get to, says like, okay, God, like I submit. Um, and it's easy to read Job as like Job never broke. Job kept it together. Job was the best of us. He did it. You can do it too. But the... The reality of Job's story is that Job gets in touch with this pain in ways that, I, that make me uncomfortable. He wrestles. And what I'd like to do is sort of walk through some of his wrestling. Because I, I, found in, I find in reading this, I find in seeing it, that it's my own wrestling. So Job, um, Job comes, comes uh, and, and again, there's more to the story with with different friends who come and try to, 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 to tell Job to, to curse God and die, and his wife steps in, and there's all different things that happen. But what I want to focus on are, are just different things that Job says throughout the book of Job. And in chapter 3, from the very beginning, it's easy to sort of read this as Job held out, and then at the end he asked God some questions. But this is chapter 3, verse 3 of Job. If you have your Bible, I encourage you, I'm going to be jumping through the book of Job as we land with some sections towards the end. But he says, let the day perish on which I was born. I mean, that, that's shorthand for I wish I was never born. Okay? Let that day go away. And the night that said a man is conceived, I wish I was never conceived. Let that day be darkness. May, may God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. See what Job said. This is, but this is like Job's first response. His wealth is taken away. His family is taken his, his health is taken. And his first response, let's get this straight. His first response is very similar to what mine would be. I wish I wasn't here. I'd be better off not existing than existing in this pain right now. That's Job's first response. It's, it's an extremely human response. I wish I was never born. You hear that pain in Job. Later on in chapter 7, he says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. I've never woven. I don't know what a shuttle is exactly. I think it's quick. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. 
Remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. In the midst of Job's pain, and there's people coming in and out of the story, and they're saying, Job, this kind of sucks, doesn't it? And he's like, yeah, this does. In fact, life feels really short and really hopeless. Have you been in the midst of a pain where you felt that? Man, it just feels like, it just, it, it feels like life is going by so fast, it's, it's, it's skipping right by, and all I'm experiencing in it is hurt, is pain. <clears throat> Job says, and he says in chapter 9, he says, how then can I answer him, choosing my own word? How can I answer God, choosing my words with him, with God? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. So, so Job comes along and says, like, some of his friends come along and they say, like, you should, you should, you should cry out to God, like, in, in accusation. And Job goes, like, okay. Except here's the problem. I can accuse God all day long. But all I really can do is appeal for mercy. He's much bigger than I am. He's got all the power in this relationship. He goes on in verse 16. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he's not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. Get this. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. You catch what Job is getting at? How, why even accuse God, he says? Why, why even look at my situation and say, God, you're not fair? Because here's the thing. Let's just be straight about this. God's not accountable to anyone else. Job knows it. I can accuse him all day long. You know what, you know what difference it makes? Does Job say? It makes none. I can make all the accusations I want. It makes no difference. There's no one to hold God accountable. This is Job's feeling in the midst of the pain. Later on in chapter 21, he says this. <clears throat> Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Does that sound familiar? I, I mean, far less poetic. I say that all the time. Their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear and no rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds without fail. <laughs> Their cow calves and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock, and, and their children dance. It's all going great over there. Keep reading verse 12. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity. In peace, they go down to Sheol. They die in peace. They say to God, get away, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? What's he saying, right? It's so much better without God. This is, this is Job's argument. This is, and it's him speaking. He says, look, the people without God, they've got it much better than I do. They've got it much better than I do. The evil get ahead. They've got the good life. Meanwhile, I'm over here with this pain and suffering. And I think it's summed up really well. The feeling is summed up really well in this little section in chapter 23 where he says, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. 
and backward, but I do not perceive him. I look forward, I look back. God's not there. On the left hand, when he is working, I, do, I don't see him there, I don't behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I don't see him. What's he saying? God's not here in the midst of my pain. I'm not living the experience of the goodness of God. Do we ever feel like that? I mean, again, in it's so many ways, it's beautiful poetry. Oh, it's, it's dark in there. And I don't ha- but I don't have those specific words to articulate it. But I do lay around and feel sorry for myself. I do get down. And I don't get up again. Okay, sorry. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do doubts through 20th century pop music. Um, but, but we do, right? We feel, I feel like it's just one punch in the gut after the next. I get so locked in and zeroed in on that, that chapter of the story that says, this world is broken. Maybe that's all there is. Maybe that's all there is. And here's the deal. We have a very real choice as we, with our doubts. We, we do. This is a God has given us this choice. We look at the situation, we assess all the information, the data. This is a very real choice that we can all make. We can deny him. You, you can hear it in Job's voice, right? It would be easier without you. I don't see you anyway. What difference does it make? Even if I could get to a place where I could make an accusation against you, no one's going to hold you accountable. I'm out here on my own, I'm alone. Maybe I'm the only one who's been that desperate at times. But it's, I, I don't think so. I think we feel it. We wrestle with it. We struggle with it. Due to what we see right now in front of us in the lived world, in this chapter of the story, where all we're seeing is the world that is, this world of fallenness and brokenness, I could convince myself that the magic juice in the IV would be to simply deny God. That'll make it go away. If I, if I pretend that he's not real, I can make the pain go away. And if that's the case, we then also need to deal with the anger that we're feeling towards him. <clears throat> but there's another choice, right? And this is where the rest of the book of Job turns. In our doubts, we can deny God. And this is where I said, I don't know if you're going to like this answer. <laughs> but it seems to be the answer in the book of Job. We can meet him on his terms. You see, what you find in, in Job, <clears throat> in, in these accusations, these very, again, familiar, very real accusations, things that I think we all sense and feel and say, what we get is, God, I'm, you need to meet me on my terms. You need, to, you need to come here and give an account to me where I am for why you've done what you've done to me. And look, here's the thing. I get it. I get it. I feel it. I understand it. We get that way. 
But someone else enters the, uh, the narrative with Job. His name's Elihu, Elihu, maybe, pronounced that way. But he makes a case, okay? He makes a case. And, and, and he says this in chapter 34 of Job. He says, therefore, hear me, men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and far from the Almighty that he should do wrong. For according to the work of a man, he will repay him. And according to his ways, he will make it befall him. Elihu comes in, Elihu comes in, and he says this. He says, look, in our current circumstance, it can be really easy to forget some things about God. It can be really easy to say, God's not fair, God's not just. But his argument is, nothing with God comes without justice, comes without fairness, without righteousness. The circumstance and situation might lead us to believe otherwise, but in the big picture, God is always just. He sees it all. Nothing is hidden from him. Look at what, ha- what this Elihu says in, verse, in, in chapter 36. He says, Behold, God is mighty and does not despise any. He's mighty in strength and understanding. He doesn't keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their right. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous. See, catch this. Here's all the things that Job is saying, all the things he's struggling with. The, the wicked get away with it. I'm the, the one who's, only one who's suffering. God is not present. He doesn't see my pain. All of those things, Elihu comes along and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's another side to this. There's another side to this. You see, this present moment, this, this immediate moment is not all the moments. The pain that you feel now is not the extent of everything that is real. There's more to the story. God sees, God knows, and he feels with you. Now, again, you ready? I don't know that in the moment that 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 in of itself is not an answer that I want to hear. When I'm in the midst of my pain, I don't want God to tell me, I'm with you and I'll see you through it. I want him to say, here comes the magic fluid and I'll make the pain go away. But it that's not the way that he operates. We do move through it. We do process it. It does hurt, and it does leave scars. And so Job continues in his pain, and God speaks. Towards the end of Job, God speaks, and he says this. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Where were you in chapter 1 when I created the world? He says. Who determined its measurements? Surely you, you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Who laid it out? On, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, God says to Job, and, and, here's, and this is the thing, I back to just a misconception with Job. It's easy to read the book of Job as Job asks a pretty simple question, then God lays the smack down on him. Job went on, off and on, for 35 to 40 chapters of the book of Job, making his case against God. And God says, Job, I know more about this than you do. I see the beginning and the end. I know the whole story. When you say, 
who can hold me accountable? You're right. I, I am not accountable. You believe I do good or you don't. That seems to be the answer. The answer is, I am. I am. I am good. My ways are good. They always have been. It's laid out for you. It doesn't mean it won't include pain, but it's there. And another fascinating thing happens. We're going to get to Job's ultimate response here in just a second. But this amazing thing happens where Job does like the, um, he, he recognizes God's power and he does the like, oh, I'm sorry thing. Like he actually, there, there's a little couplet of verses that says like, I'm going to be quiet now. And God <laughs> basically says, yeah, you are. That doesn't mean I'm done talking. And this is where we get into, can you catch the Leviathan, the, the ocean beast on your hook? Can you hold the earth together? Can you command the winds? Can you catch the lightning? You see, the painful like, truth is that in the midst of this, God says to Job, and I believe he says to us in these questions, I am the answer to the pain. I'm, there, there is no secret, mysterious potion that you get. The answer is, you can move towards me. And the nearer you get to me, the more you realize the reality of the situation, which is, I am at work. I, I have work to do. It's not done. And finally, God finishes, and Job responds. This, this response gets read quite a bit, but I didn't, this morning, didn't want us to miss the middle of the story, the other 40 chapters of Job. He answers the Lord, and he said, I know you can do all things, and I know that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Oh, my bad. Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand. I spoke out in ways that I accused you of things without full understanding, things that are too wonderful for me. I didn't know them. Here and I will speak. I will question you, and, and you make it known to me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I'm close enough, God. I'm seeing what you're doing. Therefore, I despise myself. Despise meaning like I'm ashamed of myself. I'm, I'm ashamed of what I've said, not, the, not self-loathing. But I repent in dust and ashes. I, I get it. I get it. I want to just close by, by sharing, I, I, I reference this. There's real pain that we experience. And there's pain in our body, like our church body. Our, some of you are living in pain with all kinds of different, different ways. There's, there's physical pain. There's pain of, of just loss. But, but like I said, many of you shared about the pain of, of infertility or miscarriage. And, and having lived that, I'm, I feel that. And I remember. I remember the moment. And this is where there's, there's, there's sort of answers, and then there's answers, right? And I'd, 
I'd, been, I'd wrestled with, with God's goodness and evil in the world. I, I, had, I had cognitive answers for it. But I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for the ultrasound that showed no heartbeat after we thought we were kind of in the clear. I wasn't ready for the trip to the hospital, not in my soul. I was angry. And all the uncertainty that came along with it, is this, is this the, kind of the end of the story? Is this, what's going on? And, um, and man, people were great. Like the value of community in those moments, just, um, we had better friends than Job, let's, let's say it that way. People that loved us and comforted us. But the questions still persist, right? And I remember, I remember I was, sitting on the bathroom floor um, with my, and my wife was there with me. And I just had to come to terms with this. I either believe God is good or he's not. It's a, it is a choice. It's, it's the nexus line of doubt and faith. Where we, he either is or he isn't. He doesn't have to justify why to me? I either trust him in it or I don't. Now, here's the thing. I remember that moment like it was yesterday, and it's been a while ago. And without a doubt, God has been good to us and our family. I don't want to overlook that. That was not the end of our story, which I know in the midst of the pain for some those moments on the bathroom floor, they, they become the end of your story, and I'm sorry. But we either believe that he's good and his ways have a reason, or we don't. It, that's meeting him on his terms. And so while there's sort of, there's, there's arguments to be made, there's, there's apologetics to be done on this issue, I get that. I really do. At the end of the day, we're wrestling with our doubts about God. We're deconstructing a picture that we had of him, that it was all just going to go a certain way, and then it didn't. He hasn't changed who he is. He hasn't moved from where he is. He's asking us under this, this set of circumstances, will you believe me that I'm good? Will you believe that my ways have a purpose? Even if you don't see them. Even if, like Job, you feel like you're standing in the dark. Will you believe nonetheless? For me, it's the, this is the dark night of the soul. It's where we either choose to believe or we don't. It's the difficult issue. It's where faith is needed most to challenge the questions and the doubts. I have found this. I'm going to finish this with this. I'm going to call the worship team up right now. If you guys would come. We're going, to, we're going to worship him in just a minute. I have found, like, it's, the, there is still pain. Again, it's not, it's not as present. It's not as deep. But there's still pain in that spot in my life. And the pain, of course, is associated with loss. And the pain, of course, is associated with, with the pain of it all, or with the, 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 
just the poignancy of the pain of it all. But the, the pain, the, the, the tension, the pain that exists there is so related to the challenge that this presented to my fundamental picture of who God is and the life that he was supposed to be giving me. And it comes up with every new disappointment. And so I don't want to make a false promise. I don't want to promise you that you're going to walk with God and the pain goes away. I don't want to make you, because I can't. That's not the deal. But what we we can do in this point, in, in this moment, is we can refuse the simple answer. We can refuse the easy answer of it's just easier without you, God. That doesn't really solve our problem. And we can choose to move towards him. And we do that in a very real way. We're going to sing. We're going to sing. The act of raising our voices to God tells him that in spite of the pain, I believe in you. I trust you. I do believe you are good. I do believe you are at work. I do believe you care. Pray with me before we sing. God, it is, it is really difficult, Father, to, at times with these pains, it's really difficult to just trust you. And we need you in this pain. We need to feel your presence. We need to know that you're here. Um, but God, we also want to take this step towards you. We, we want to acknowledge that, that you, are, you are mighty, you are good, and, um, and we want to be near you. Forgive us where we've tried to, uh, to just make the, the pain go away. Forgive us where we've tried to just medicate it or, or push it aside. And in so doing, we've pushed you aside. We've, we've minimized your, your role in our lives. And God, we, we ask your forgiveness. And we pray today that, um, that you would move in amongst us. Spirit, show us the Father. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.
like that.